Hello and welcome into BTN's Take 10 Podcast. This is Alex Rue of BTN.com, and this week we're doing a little something different here on the Take 10 Podcast, at least for this time of year. Uh, generally this time of year we'll talk some specific Big Ten football, maybe Big Ten basketball, and leave it at that. But uh, actually this week we have on a different type of guest. Uh, usually when I have sports media on the podcast, they are well into their careers and can kind of talk about it, but... In this case, we have a younger sports broadcaster as our primary guest, and he's a guy who is only 25 years old, but has done a lot for us here at BTN in his young career, and is definitely poised for big things in the sports industry. And his name is Mike Monaco. If you uh, aren't familiar with him, he probably will be soon. He's gotten increasingly bigger assignments for us here at Big Ten Network. He's done a handful of different sports, including some football, basketball, and Olympic sports as well. And when you tune in, uh, you can see why he's definitely got that big game voice and a lot of talent. And that's why I wanted to get him on the show and talk about his career and his rise in the industry as he's only a few years removed from college. So uh, yeah, I generally talk to sports media um, pretty regularly on this show and and get into their backgrounds and doing the same this week with Mike Monaco, uh, especially considering the upcoming slate of Big Ten football is one of the less significant ones that we've seen this year and um, you know we just wouldn't have a lot to talk about with a national college football guest so uh, Mike provided a ton of interesting insight and some really cool anecdotes and stories from his rise to his current position and it was a fun half hour interview with a really cool guy so get to that in just uh just a minute here um and i mentioned we're doing something a little different on this show and that doesn't just apply to our interview with mike monaco we're also including a bonus interview and it's one that is not actually conducted by me it's conducted by btn's own howard griffith and uh if you know our shows and our programming here you know howard has been with the network since its inception he was a running back at illinois in the 80s and 90s uh longtime nfl back as well and uh he does a weekly segment in our btn tailgate show called lounging with howard in the players lounge so howard griffith actually uh interviewed this past weekend a michigan state defensive end named kenny Wilgus. kenny is a uh star spartans and like howard was a former walk-on or is a former walk-on and so those two had uh some immediate things in common and, and they had a several minute discussion and interview that we're going to play for you here after our interview with Mike Monaco. So stay tuned for Lounging with Howard and Howard's interview with Kenny Willekes. And uh, beyond that, we actually aren't done. We have one more interview to get to. And if you listen to the show regularly, you know that it's our weekly stat head segment with Harold Shelton. Uh, Harold is our BTN researcher for those who don't know. And he comes on regulated to break down Big Ten sports behind the numbers, uh, primarily football and basketball. So talk a little bit of college football playoff with Harold, talk a little bit about Northwestern clinching the Big Ten West and the upcoming weekend Big Ten football. And we talk plenty of Big Ten hoops as well with the basketball season well underway and a lot of interesting matchups playing out this week, including Michigan winning big over Villanova on Villanova's home court. Indiana winning big over Marquette, Nebraska winning big over Seton Hall, and overall it's just a good week 
in Big Ten hoops. So talk plenty of that with Harold Shelton on our third interview of the, the show. And uh, like I said, we've got a triple header of interviews coming at you in just a minute here on the Take 10 Podcast. So before we get to our first one in Mike Monaco, just want to give you a quick reminder to subscribe if you haven't already. So if you're streaming this now, you can download, subscribe to the show on iTunes, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Podbean, and you can subscribe on our YouTube channel as well. All the episodes are now posted to Big Ten Network's YouTube channel. So all that is available for you. And with those reminders out of the way, we'll get to our first interview with, as I mentioned at the top, uh, up-and-coming broadcaster in sports media. It's BTN's Mike Monaco. And that interview starts right now. I'm very pleased to be joined by an up-and-coming broadcaster. He's all over the place lately for BTN. It's Mike Monaco. You can follow him on Twitter at Mike Monaco underscore at the end. Mike, how's it going, man? Thanks for joining me. Yeah, it's going well, Alex. How's everything with you? Thanks for having me on. Doing great. I uh, wanted to get you on for a while because I've noticed you, uh, like I said, all over the place here on BTN. But before we get into the nitty-gritty of the interview, I just, I just got to get this first question out of the way because if I was creating a broadcaster in a lab, I feel like... The name Mike Monaco would be one, like one of those perfect <laughs> broadcaster names the algorithm would spit out. So, first off, Mike, is that your real name, Mike Monaco? <laughs> so, I, I don't have an, an alter ego or anything like that, but the, the fun part of it is, and, and thank you for that, uh, <laughs> Michael is actually my middle name. So, my first name is Jay. So, J. Michael Monaco, yet you'd have to ask my parents why, but from day one, uh, I've gone by Michael, and then since second grade all the way back then, uh, it's been Mike. So however you get to it, it, it apparently works out, but no, it's not actually my, my real first name. Well, even your backup name sounds pretty cool, like J. Michael Monaco, <laughs> J. Monaco, like you can't really go wrong. So now that we've established that, uh, one more personal question, and this kind of sets the context for the interview here. Uh, I'm trying to talk to some younger professionals in sports media. How old are you, Mike? I, I'm, uh, I want to set that stage for the audience as well. Yeah, 25 years years old or young, however you want to look at it. Awesome. All right. So 25 years young and uh, working as a broadcaster for BTN. So obviously that's that's very in- intriguing. And like I said, for this episode, I'm talking to younger sports media pros, and uh, I want to get more into your background here and where you got how you got to where you are in just a minute. But first, I want to get to some current news um, in your career and has to do with a big event you called just last night for us here at the network, and that was... See Vivian Stringer, the Rutgers women's basketball head coach, her 1,000th career win. You called that game on BTN. So if you could, just take me behind the scenes of that whole experience and what it was like calling a monumental game in the sport. Yeah, I think a phrase, Alex, that really just a word in general that gets used so much, um, and maybe sometimes it's cliche, something's an honor um, to, to receive something, to do something, but whether it's cliche or not, that, that's how last night feels, I think, for all of us who were a part of it. Um, for someone who's had such a long career and who's been such a pioneering figure in coaching, college coaching in particular, at different schools, and who has touched really so many lives, and, and we had a chance to celebrate that and, and sort of reflect on that last night, um, just powerful to, to be one tiny small piece of that and to hopefully convey some of the stories. Um, and, and we really approached the broadcast different. Um, Sue Marriott, who, who's one of the, the higher-ups there at BTN, she started 
kind of crafting the vision pretty early. Danny Blunt was our producer. Doug Brown was our director. Um, and, and it was something that maybe a little more so than, than a normal early non-conference basketball game gets talked about weeks in advance. Um, and so much advanced planning went into it. And, and Sue and others, I'm sure, tracked down um, a lot of the footage and, and photos that we used last night. So we had a chance to really um, almost sort of make it a, a two-hour retrospective or, or even maybe like a documentary like on C. Vivian Stringer's career. And there are so many stories to talk about when it comes to that. So it was a real treat to, to maybe approach things a little bit differently and to have a chance to, to tell the stories of her life and, and her coaching career. Yeah, it was cool to watch. And I don't know, uh, I guess, the breadth of, of your experience, how wide that goes and how many other big moments you've called. That Where would you rank that uh, call last night as far as your career calls go? Yeah, certainly. Um, as far as time with, with Big Ten Network goes, uh, that, that's got to be at the top of the list. Um, like I said, just super fortunate to, to be a tiny piece of it. Um, and just to, to see throughout the night and even leading up to it as well. And, and after the fact, the, the different people who have come across and been connected with C. Vivian Stringer in some way. I mean, Politics aside, Hillary Clinton talking about C. Vivian Stringer on social media afterward is very powerful. So Magic Johnson is talking about it. I mean, these are people that uh, were very in tune with the significance of last night for C. Vivian Stringer. And I think it just speaks to, like we said, the career that she's had going back to the early 1970s when she led the nation's first historically black college. She led Cheney State and took that team to the Final Four and put them right up against Louisiana Tech, which at the time uh, was a women's basketball powerhouse. And and so it, it goes back a long ways, and, and there are a lot of people that because of that have been touched along the way. Yeah, I, I realized her story and, and knew about her history, but I guess I didn't realize how big her impact has been because, like you said, the tributes last night that, that were set up by Rutgers, and kudos to them for doing such a good job, the tributes were really cool. I mean, you had Kobe Bryant, uh, Charles Barkley, Whoopi Goldberg, Billie Jean King, like the list goes on and on of people that were sending her congratulations. So that was cool. I wanted to address that. And uh, definitely, since it was top of mind for you, I wanted to get your take on the whole experience. But uh, I, want, I want to move on now to your background in the sports industry, as brief as it may be. I, I want to hear how you came up in the industry. And we can start with your college experience or even before that. Take me through how you got interested in sports broadcasting and how your education kind of shaped your career to this point. Yeah, so I think, you know, I've heard a lot of stories from broadcasters at a variety of ages who, you know, maybe they grew up and they would shut off the, the video game audio or even the, the television audio of a live game and, and sort of do the broadcast themselves. That wasn't exactly my case in that I didn't always know that broadcasting was in particular what I wanted to do. I always knew that I wanted to work in sports in some capacity if I couldn't play them uh, at the highest level, which was very apparent to everyone pretty early on that that wasn't going to be the case. Um, but I thought exactly that, that maybe I would more want to do some sort of front office job. I grew up in the Boston area, a uh, huge Red Sox fan, and, and continue to be. So I wanted to, to maybe be the next Theo Epstein when I went to college and, and follow a, you know, a general manager type track and try to work my way up to that. And so I had actually read that Theo Epstein, when he was in college as an undergrad at Yale, that, that he wrote for his student newspaper. 
now it's not really logical that writing for the student newspaper leads to a front office job but my naivete at that age thought that those two might go hand in hand so when i got to college that was one of the first things i did not really out of a, a journalistic um you know desire necessarily but I caught the bug in terms of journalism and, and storytelling and, and loved my time doing the student newspaper in college and did that for four years. Um, and then my sophomore year kind of got looped into doing student radio stuff and that bled into doing video streams for the university at Notre Dame where I went to college um, and then just caught the, the broadcasting itch in particular within the media realm and, and just ran with that. So you kind of stumbled into it a little bit. I mean, obviously. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Yeah, but like did you – Realize early on, or did someone tell you early on that, hey, you know, you've got a knack for this thing? So I think probably to an extent, I was always maybe the friend at the lunch table in middle school and high school that uh, would get asked the the random sports trivia question if my friends were, were, you know, talking about whatever team or or sport it was. And and I might have the the odd fact that, that probably no one did care about or should have cared about um so yeah in that sense that was sort of always um, my mo within my group of friends um but within broadcasting in particular again never really a stated desire to do that but i think um probably it, it makes a lot of sense for for friends back from home when when they think about the career path them in now so what would you say coming up through college at what point did you get a, a pretty good break where you know you got an opportunity that kind of launched you to where you've gotten to today. I saw on your resume you did some minor league baseball work. You mentioned your Notre Dame athletics uh, involvement. So what, what were some of your bigger breaks during your undergrad experience? Yeah, I think uh, a lot of them are just things that, that sometimes are, are out of your control. So I think back to, to being at Notre Dame, and you know, at first I was doing student radio stuff, And at that time, you know, the video streams were picking up and schools with their own in-house video departments are starting to stream sports in much the same way. You know, a lot of games on BTN to go and BTN plus sort of originate from the BTN student use side. Well, in Notre Dame, those started as pretty simple video streams, but they soon evolved into ESPN3 where the school is producing it. They're using students as announcers. And I lucked into a a real right place, right time that is that was picking up. Um, I was at the point where, you know, I was starting to become an upperclassman and and they were looking for people to broadcast whatever sporting event it was on campus. And I was happy to do any and and all sports there, um, including student radio and the video streams at Notre Dame. I did everything from football to fencing. So I got a lot of exposure to all these fun, you know, great sports teams that, that they have there and around, you know, just the, the college scene nationally as well. So it was fortunate timing in that sense to start to get some some sort of TV type experience um, while I was still in college. And, and that was, you know, total luck with the timing on that. Yeah. And obviously Notre Dame has a passionate following. You're probably able to get your name out there a little bit and, and get your work in front of uh, some influential people. But uh how about with your minor league baseball experience? Because I feel like, you know, at least with people that work in front offices or within the organizations of minor league baseball or even players, you know, there's horror stories you hear about how the GM is the one doing it all, you know, sweeping the field, filling up the bus with gas and all that stuff. So what's it like being a broadcaster in a minor league organization and how are, how is that role expanded as opposed to a gig like you have today? 
Yeah, I was lucky uh, also just on the topic of sort of breaks. There was a single-A baseball team at the time and still is. Um, the single-A affiliate of the Cubs is the South Bend Cubs. So right there, um, just you know, a 10-minute drive from campus by Notre Dame. So when I was about to graduate, I started working with them, and, and that sort of launched my last few years in minor league baseball. And yeah, there are definitely stories like that, and there are definitely a, a lot of people who wear many more hats than than someone like me has before. Um, but you know, there are stories of of your general manager and your president out there pulling the tarp along with the grounds crew and along with the marketing people and the salespeople and the broadcasters and and all of that. So it, it's just a totally different animal than what you see at Wrigley Field or anywhere else around the major leagues where it's a lot of people pitching in. And even within that, regardless of the level, there are different sizes of front offices. So one of the teams I've worked for in the past in single A, the Fort Wayne Tin Caps, a a San Diego Padres affiliate, they have a huge front office that maybe is the same size as as some AAA front offices. So it can all be different. Um, but yeah, it's it's really it's its own unique kind of ecosystem of all these people pitching in to to try to make things work. And you worked with the uh, Red Sox affiliate as well in Pawtucket. Yeah, yeah. The last two summers have done that um, as you know a, a guy that's doing media relations and then also getting to do some broadcast stuff as well. Um, two great broadcasters there that I've worked under um, the last couple years and, and learned a ton from. And that's been fun as well. Like I said earlier, growing up a Red Sox fan and growing up in that area to be able to live close to home and uh, and to work there as well and call some games. I know you mentioned Theo Epstein. I mean, you're not on his path exactly, but you have worked <laughs> in the Padres organization, in the Red Sox organization. You know, there's, there's some parallels there. Yeah, and so I was saying that the South Bend Cubs, they were the, the year that I worked for them was their first year as a Chicago Cubs affiliate. They'd been with the Diamondbacks and had been named the South Bend Silverhawks for the, the diehard Midwest League listeners, I'm sure, are tuning in right now. But the first the first game of the season was a big deal. It was, you know, the first game with the Cubs affiliation. The South Bend Cubs had rebranded. So Theo was actually there, and I got to interview him on opening day, but I, I didn't tell him the story that that I uh, I wanted to emulate him and, and wrote for the student newspaper. But maybe next time I see him, I'll let him know. That's cool that uh, you mentioned that because I was going to get to my next question, which is some brushes or potential interactions with you know big-time talent that you've had along the way, especially in minor league baseball with guys coming up. Uh, you mentioned the, the Cubs in their infancy of, of their recent success. Have you seen or intera- interacted with other guys like Theo or, or players they're advancing through systems uh, during your calls throughout your minor league career? Yeah, so that first year um, with South Bend, met Theo truly day one of the season, just a couple months into the job. Um, and then later in the season, his right-hand man, Jason McLeod, um, was there as well. And, and those guys were both very gracious with their time. As far as players go that year, um, the biggest prospect we had in and he absolutely has panned out was Glaber Torres, who spent nearly the entire season with us. And at the time, he's a 17-year-old, 18-year-old teenager uh, from Venezuela. And he has totally lived up to the hype and, and blossomed into a, a really young star so far since the trade to the Yankees. And, and he was a, a great guy. His his English was, was growing at that point. And we spent some time doing some interviews together in English and in Spanish um, and then trying to work together on, on both of our uh, secondary language on, on that front. Ian Happ played on that team that year as well. 
Uh, and then the second year with the Padres, um, their general manager, A.J. Preller, was around. Um, a, a fun guy as well, a great pickup basketball player. That's his uh, his sort of hobby away from away from the grind of a baseball season. Um, and then with the Red Sox AAA team the last few years, you get a lot more rehab assignments. So Dustin Pedroia was around this year. Rafael Devers, who had a great postseason on the World Series run. And um, two seasons ago, Pablo Sandoval was there rehabbing. So he's a, a character around the clubhouse. And so some some really fun people and uh, people that have just been gracious with their time and fun to be around in a, a minor league baseball setting. So I saw on your resume, on your website, when I was poking around doing some research, you listed uh, White Sox broadcaster, ESPN broadcaster Jason Benetti as one of your references on your resume. So I assume you have a somewhat personal relationship with him. And I was wondering, how did that come about? And uh, obviously, he's known as a great guy around baseball, but uh, what's the extent of that relationship with, with Benetti? Yeah, he's someone who I think uh, I'm probably not alone in saying that he's been um, in just an incredibly helpful resource to um, me and, and to many others in this industry. Just a, an exceptional person, first and foremost. And then obviously his broadcast work is is also second to none up there. So yeah, that goes back to uh, a, a friend at Notre Dame, a mutual friend, someone that, that I worked with there. Um, had sort of facilitated that when they knew I was doing Cape Cod League baseball stuff at the time, um, back while I was a student in college in those summers. And uh, he was doing minor league baseball at the time, so we got kind of put in touch as someone I could potentially learn from. Um, and like I said, you know, what a great person to to follow along and, and try to pick up some of the things that they do at such a high level. Yeah, it was over a year ago now, but Jason Benetti was on David Axelrod's podcast, and his story was kind of being delved into a little bit by David Axelrod. And Benetti brought up uh, his big break came when his friend and mentor Len Casper kind of hooked him up uh, with the White Sox skater, helped get his name out there. So, you know, it's kind of one of those things that uh, goes on down the line with, with guys paying it forward. So that's, that's a cool story. Uh, and in that same vein, I was wondering if there are any other broadcasters or sports media pros that you look up to as you continue to build your, your career here. Yeah, it's so many, Alex, that I, I look up to, and I feel like you can really learn something from everyone. So just, you know, whether it's on our airwaves with guys like Kevin and Brandon and so many others that, that I look up to and, and try to, you know, learn what they're doing well or um, at other networks as well. It's There's always something that, that can really be learned, and I try to kind of approach it like a craft and, and study the things um, that maybe I haven't learned yet or that I absolutely need to work on. Um, but as far as people who've, who've been helpful in particular, just play-by-play guys, Adam Amin, who's a, another uh, Midwest guy, he's been really helpful from when he was in his early days doing network TV stuff and I was a student in college. He was more than gracious with his time and, and letting me hang out by his broadcast position and, and asking questions and whatever it was. So, I mean, it's a long list of people that that I think a lot of us in this industry could thank, and, and I'm really grateful for them. Yeah, you mentioned Kevin Kugler and Brandon Gaughan, both friends of the pod here and, and have been on him gracious, as, as you mentioned, and uh, yeah, both great guys. Um, so, Mike, I want to kind of get your take on a... Subject that I know, you know, if younger people are listening, they might be interested in, especially if they're trying to work in sports. How do you think a, a guy or a girl, um, you know, early 20s or in college in this era of sports media breaks into the industry? Like, what, what, besides, you know, maybe being right place, right time, what do you think is uh, important for 
young professionals to know if they're trying to get into sports? I think the things that, that probably stand out first are maybe some of the more obvious ones, things that, that folks out there listening have probably heard before. Um, you know, don't don't say no to opportunities. Maybe it's it's not a sport that you think of as your favorite, or maybe it's not a sport that you know well. But I, you know, I, I don't think there's um, a downside to to saying yes to something and trying something new and trying to expand what you're able to broadcast or whatever um, part of the sports media landscape that it is. I think working hard. Uh, there's there's really no substitute for it, and and talent's great in any field of work but if someone's going to work hard you hear coaches say it all the time I, you know they they might rather have the the player who really works hard um, as opposed to the natural talent who isn't going to be getting the extra shots up in the gym so i think those things you probably speak for themselves i'm not breaking any news with stuff like that um and i think maybe trying to to be pretty well-rounded and, and well-read i think that helps um for broadcasting as well it's it's a unique sort of job where for a couple hours on the air your job is to whether it's educate or inform or entertain you're trying to do some sort of blend of that um and i think being able to to kind of weave in and out of different conversation points just makes for a more enjoyable broadcast um if you're you're bouncing off what an analyst is saying or a sideline reporter or you know something you just see happen in the course of the game so i think you know the the hard work that that stuff's irreplaceable and then maybe having a a more holistic approach to it as well helps do you ever get nervous like before a game or during a broadcast uh you know just like athletes i'm sure plenty of broadcasters get nervous too so do you, do you ever feel any of those nerves yeah i definitely do um and for me, I've kind of thought, oh, you know, would, would you rather not have that? And and sometimes it's to different degrees, but I, it's sort of a, a performance um, nerve for, for me that, that I enjoy kind of that that rush of, of the game about to start. And, it, you know, it's only high school sports, but I go back to, to playing high school sports and the feel of, of excitement and sort of nervous energy before a big game. And so, yeah, I definitely still feel that. And uh, and then once you get rolling, it's it's – um, a lot less like that for me, and I'm sure it's different for everyone else. But, uh, yeah, it, it, it's just fun and sort of the excitement of, of being right around that game and being a small piece of it. So I don't know this for sure, and I don't know the intricacies of your schedule, but it seems like this year you've had uh, an expanded role at BTN. I've seen you on uh, bigger games. You've called college football, I believe, uh, some men's basketball as well. Um, how does how's an expanded role like that come about, I guess, in the off season and uh, when and how did you know that more responsibilities were going to be on your plate? Yeah, it's something that um, you, you can't really take the credit for. You got to thank um, the the bosses who, who believe in you and, and give you chances like that and um, have certainly opened doors for you and, and helped you along the way. Uh, but yeah, that stuff, in some cases, it happens earlier. So, you know, doing a college football game week one like I did this year, that's something I found out about in the summer. Whereas, you know, at some points there, there might be a basketball game that pops up a week or two in advance and, and someone might want you to fill in somewhere for someone else for who knows what happened. Um, so those things can, can kind of happen in different ways. Um, but yeah, it's been um, a fun second season with BTN and, and a full, full year of it. Um, last year started with BTN sort of around this time gearing up for basketball season 
Um, so it's been fun doing everything from football to volleyball to soccer um, and now basketball season as well before getting back into spring sports. And it's just, you know, not to, to bang a company drum by any means, but it's just such a great conference. I mean, you look at look at volleyball, maybe a lot of football or basketball fans out there listening aren't aren't totally wrapped up in the volleyball scene. I mean, that's a conference that at, at most points in the season has five of the 10 top teams in the country are, are big 10 teams. So it's just been a blast to be a part of whatever sport it is. Um, and thankful for, for people that have, have given me those opportunities. So what's your busy time of year? I imagine this is quite a busy time just with all these sports overlapping. Um, what are your most busy times of year and what's a typical week or, you know, boil it down to a few hectic days look like during that time of year? Yeah, there have been some some really busy um, weeks in the fall with volleyball and soccer overlapping. And then kind of right at the end, um, really these last few weeks, this this comes at a good time of talking. Things have have lightened up a little bit just because um, for the most part with BTN, our our soccer schedule is over. um, And and we're not doing right now as much volleyball as we did earlier in the season. So things have lightened up a little bit. But, you know, I had a a one-week stretch earlier this year where I had five games scheduled um, in five days. And it actually happened that that ended up only being four broadcasts in five days uh, for BTN because one of the, the games, there was a travel delay for one of the teams. So they pushed the game back and we didn't end up televising it. Uh, but five games in five days, a few different sports being covered there was was going to be a, a real test. And it ended up being a ton of fun still just, just doing the four games in five days. Um, but yeah, basketball is busy too. I, I freelance in, in a few other places as well. Um, so have, have kept busy that way too. But basketball season's a, a ton of fun and, and really looking forward to that season as well. I don't even know. Are you based here in Chicago or are you uh, out east? Yeah, based in Chicago. Um, moved out there um, a few months ago and, and totally settled out there. But um, don't see a, a ton of the apartment right now <laughs> traveling, uh, and that'll continue to be the case in basketball season. Right. I was going to say, like, what do you do for fun in your free time? Are you one of those guys that gets home and turns on sports, or do you have to kind of decompress and do something else? Yeah, typically uh, I try to, to decompress. I actually went to a Chicago Bears game on Sunday. Uh, I'd gotten back late Saturday night and was leaving early Monday, uh, but went to a Bears game Sunday, so was still around sports um, in that perspective. But really family and friends when I have the time for it, um, whether that's getting back to the East Coast where a lot of family is or enjoying uh, Chicago and trying to explore the new city, whatever I can fit in. All right, Mike, uh, before we wrap up, I want to get your perspective on this since you've kind of been on both sides of the aisle. Um, Just looking out, you know, projecting down the road in your career, would you rather, if you had to choose, be a day-to-day broadcaster, play-by-play guy that sticks with a team for a whole season, you know, maybe like a a Len Casper or, um, you know, a guy that is at an RSN, bounces around, kind of like you do now, and does a lot of different things, wears a lot of different hats. Or maybe someone, you know, like uh, Brian Anderson for the Brewers who does his team obligations with the Brewers in the spring, then bounces around with Turner and stuff in the fall. What what do you kind of see for yourself, and and how do you uh, see your schedule, you know, ideally bouncing out if you had to choose? I think it's actually uh, probably – the, the Brian Anderson example that you gave and the work that he does, whether it's with us, with BTN or in any number of other networks, but then also doing brewer stuff. 
for me, I think that's a, a really fun spot to, to kind of have the work balance live um, in terms of being around a team day to day and the, the joy that comes with that and, you know, the ability to, to tell stories sort of on a deeper level um, than maybe you get in sort of the national style broadcast as well or even regional. Um, but then the, the national and regional side of it's fun and, and enjoy the travel immensely and, and seeing different teams and different sports. So, you know, for me, I think that's more it because I, I was always the kid growing up that, you know, if a family member, an aunt or an uncle asked, you know, what's, what's your favorite sport? Well, for me, it was always kind of whatever season it was. So I, I really enjoyed doing a bunch of different sports and, uh, and yeah, would love to have that continue down the road. All right, Mike. Well, you've been very generous with your time. Uh, great job last night on the call and the last couple of years for BTN. We'll be following your work closely and uh, love to have you on again um, sometime soon. We'll catch up soon. All right. Thanks, Alex. I appreciate you having me on and, and happy to do it anytime. Enjoy listening to it. Sounds good. All right. Thanks a lot to Mike for joining me. Uh, really fun guy to talk to. Really interesting to hear his story. And, and you know, you can kind of hear in the contrast between our voices there how Mike kind of has that that it factor the the big game voice that when you turn on a a game and you hear a guy like Joe Buck or Matt Faskersian or Kevin Harlan that have that it factor and I feel like Mike has that similar gift so um, you know cool to kind of catch someone on their rise through sports media because I I don't think you'll uh, hear the last of him uh, if you you happen, happen to catch one of his games this year so thanks again to Mike. And now, as I mentioned at the top, we'll toss it over to another interview, except this one is not conducted by me. It's conducted by Howard Griffith on his weekly Lounging with Howard segment on our BTN Tailgate show. We pulled some audio from from that uh, interview, and he sat down with Kenny Willekes during their stop at Michigan State. Kenny is a Michigan State defensive end who's star for the Spartans, and um, we have a few minutes of that discussion coming right up. So right now, we will take it to East Lansing, Michigan, and lounging with Howard. Welcome back to Players Lounge. I'm in the lounge with Kenny Willikis. How are you, my friend? Doing well. Tell me about this place. You spent a lot of time in this lounge. This place is really nice. Yeah, I spend a lot of time in here. This is honestly where I eat most of my meals in between classes. I don't get a lot of time going between classes and football, so they keep the fridge stocked with you know sandwiches, ham and cheese sandwiches, so I eat most of my meals out of here, honestly. Tell me... Uh, about your recruitment or lack thereof, because I was walk-on too, and you are as well. Yeah, I, I didn't. I went to a small high school, North Point Christian, uh, mm-hmm. in Grand Rapids. So I had about a hundred people in my class, hundred people in about every class. Not a lot of people, so. You know, I didn't get a lot of looks, a lot of recruitment growing up. I had Ferris State, Wayne State were probably my two biggest offers. Uh, Grand Valley State didn't overlook me at home, and then um, I had preferred walk-ons from here in Minnesota. And you know, once I got the offer to walk on here and uh, it gave me the chance to walk on here, I took it immediately. Love it first sight when you got here. Yeah, for sure. You know, I've always I was a Spartan fan growing up. You know, I honestly didn't watch a lot of college football growing up, just the way I was raised, but. Uh, you know, once I got here, I fell in love with it immediately. You know, the people on the campus, the coaches, the way you're treated around here, and just, you know, the way this program was built on hard work and toughness. I fell in love immediately. How about the way you were raised? How did that help you get ready for college? Um, just the way my parents raised me, you know, to always work hard. My dad, uh, he's a heart surgeon, so he's always out spending hours um, at the hospital. He'll be at the hospital for hours at a time, and then I'll have to fly out and go harvest a heart somewhere. So, you know, having him as a role model in my life and then my mother 
uh, raising eight kids at home. She's a stay-at-home mom, so she raised all eight of us, and you know, she would do anything for us. So you know, the way they raised me with a, you know, a good set of morals, and you know, to always work hard has helped me tremendously, and I'm thankful for that forever. Who's the jokester on this team? Uh, we got a few of them for sure, but I'd say probably they're all roommates. Uh, Felton Davis, Daryl Stewart, and Raekwon Williams. All in one house. Yeah. So everybody goes over to their house to have a good time? Yeah, yes, sir. <laughs> What's this team like? You know, every uh, personality of each team is, is different. Kind of take me through, since you got here, you know, what the different teams and the, the identity of teams have been thus far. Yeah, I think this team has a, a lot of personality on it. You know, you know, we got a lot of funny guys, a lot of guys that know how to have a good time, but also, they know how to work hard, and you, when you have to be serious during workouts, during practice, during film, you know, they're serious guys, but off the field, you know, they're good guys to be around, they're fun guys to be around. Tell me about rushing the passer. What's the best part about it? Uh, I love rushing the passer, you know, just all everything that goes into it, the study before, the game planning, the watching the film, you know, coming up with your moves, just everything about it. I love, you know, I spend a lot of time perfecting my craft. It's something, you know, I take a lot of pride in, but then when you get that sack, there's no other feeling like getting the sack. How many go-to moves you got? I got about three or four that I rely on in games, you know. Uh, I try a lot more in practice, you know, try to get cute and creative in practice. It doesn't always work out. Coaches don't like that, do they? Coaches don't like that. He tells me to stick with moves and work on moves that I'll actually try. But, you know, it's fun to sometimes mess around with it. But at the end of the day, I got three or four moves that I like to fall back on. What's your favorite place on campus to hang out? Uh, my favorite place on campus to hang out is probably my house, honestly. We have a house over on Forest Street, me and my buddies. So a lot of us just hang out there a lot. A lot of people come over there. It's a pretty unique spot. Tell me, what is it like to, to run out in the Spartan Stadium? You know, it's a feeling like none other when that house is packed and uh, Spartan Nation's going crazy. They have the little smoke coming up as we run out of the tunnel. You know, it's an insane feeling and something that growing up I always dreamed of. And I didn't know that I was going to have the opportunity, but I'm forever thankful that they were able to give me the opportunity. Just, if I was a left tackle, you think you could beat me? I hope so. Huh? <laughs> <laughs> well, thanks a lot for hanging out. I really appreciate Thank it. Good you. luck appreciate this weekend. It. All right, thanks a lot to Howard and Kenny for lending us some of their uh, interview for this show. Uh, appreciate that, and it was cool to hear their kind of dueling walk-on stories as they discuss their, you know, their careers and, and figure Kenny is a pretty good shot to follow Howard's path to the NFL. I'll be on defense rather than what Howard did as a uh, bruising running back and fullback. So thanks once again to them. And for our final segment here on the Take 10 Podcast, we'll toss it over to our final interview with myself and Harold Shelton. It's our weekly stat head segment where we talk college football and college basketball. And that segment starts right now. All right, very pleased to be joined once again in the very warm BTN studio. It's cold outside by Harold Shelton, H-U- Keep them warm in here. Keep them warm outside on that commute to work today. It wasn't terrible in terms of the, the the cold. The snow I wasn't a big fan of on November fifteenth, especially with it sticking as much as it has. But hey, you know Chicago never know what to expect. Yeah, it seems like all of Big Ten country is uh, kind of taking the brunt of it this week and especially today. And uh, that just means that you know basketball's here. We're deep, deep into football season, and we've been saying we're going to talk a good amount of hoops for a while, and we'll finally get to that this episode so i'm pumped about that um but we'll start with football just because we had a major accomplishment major achievement this past weekend 
with Northwestern clinching the Big Ten West. H, put that into perspective if you could, uh, just how unique and unlikely that achievement was for the Cats. Yeah, so Northwestern is the first team to ever go winless in non-conference play and win a division. Uh, just the fact that they – and all three of those non-conference losses came at home too, which makes it even more uh, miraculous. You know, they look completely outclassed against Duke. You know, they gave up, you know, a ton of points to Akron. And, you know, they lost to Notre Dame, played them close, but still eventually lost the game. I mean, this was a team that started 1-3. and three. And once they got into Big Ten play, especially against the West, you know, they did what they do. I mean, they've won nine straight against the West. They just kind of find ways to do it. It's a team that almost lost to Rutgers. I mean, let's, you know, they were trailing in the fourth quarter at Rutgers, and we go from that to, you know, dominating Wisconsin, winning at Iowa. And, you know, it's, it's pretty miraculous because I think Pat Fitzgerald will tell you this isn't one of his better teams, and yet – they're six and one in the league and already clinched for two games to spare. Yeah, seriously weird season. I mean, I, I can't figure out game to game. I mean, lately they've been really more consistent, I think. But like you said, they should have probably lost in Nebraska. The Rutgers game was a very possible loss, and then before those games happened, they almost beat Michigan. So it's just been a, a weird season, like you said. And now they're headed to Indy. And if you are a Cats fan um, or someone who wants to see chaos, who do you think? you would rather see Northwestern face Ohio State or Michigan because that's really the two teams that it's coming down to here at the end. Yeah, I think if you're a Cats fan, I wonder if you want another shot at Michigan. I mean, you were up 17-0. You kind of in control there, and it was before you found a running game. This was directly after Jeremy Larkin uh, retired from football, so they were still trying to figure out their running situation. Uh, obviously, Isaiah Bowser has been you know very good lately. You know, it's kind of been a bell cow for them. You know, easily has the most carries of any Big Ten player over the last four games. However, it's a t- tough ask against a, a really aggressive Michigan defense. Ohio State, you probably have more of a, a, a better chance of moving the ball, but you got a chance to give up more points to Dwayne Haskins in that offense. So it's kind of a pick-your-poison thing. But either way, you're 60 minutes away from Pasadena. Absolutely. So that'll be intriguing to see uh, who ends up opposite them in Indy. And uh, before we move on to hoops, I do want to talk a little bit of college football playoff rankings, even though it's the first time this past week that all 10 of the top 10 spots stayed the same. That's an interesting, I guess, number, interesting tidbit. Um, first of all, are you surprised that it stayed the same? Probably not because they all, they all won, but I guess are you surprised at some of the movement or lack thereof from teams like LSU or Kentucky who – uh, especially if you're, you're Kentucky or LSU losing to Alabama, maybe you haven't dropped as much as um, one would think. Yeah, I, I wasn't too surprised that nothing changed. I mean, I guess there could have been an argument like maybe you bump West Virginia up over Washington State or maybe Ohio State you know, winning a road game by 20 against the team that the committee thought was a top 20 team. Uh, maybe that would have been enough to move up. LSU not looking great against a bad Arkansas team. You could have argued, you know, any of those situations, whether it's LSU moving down or West Virginia and Ohio State moving up. But I think they're just kind of going to let it play out. And as teams get more data points on a resume, they'll eventually jump up if they keep winning. So intentional or not, there have been, um, I guess, notions floated out there, definitely on our air by Joel Clatt Fox and – it's kind of a, I guess, narrative that's been built now, and I think there's some validity to it, 
that the ACC and SEC are being treated a little differently in the eyes of the committee as opposed to the Big Ten or perhaps some um, non-Power 5 teams that maybe there's a safety net there for teams um, in the SEC, like I brought up LSU, Kentucky, uh, a team like Boston College before that stayed in the rankings after getting uh, you know beat down. And if you're just comparing resumes, it looks like they're not being you know held up equally to certain teams outside those conferences. Do you think there's a validity to that, and do you think there's a um, a safety net of sorts that that is built in, especially for the SEC when you know if Alabama were to lose in the SEC title game, a safety net there there would allow two SEC teams potentially to get in the college football playoff. Uh, I don't know if it's necessarily a safety net, but it's clear that the SEC is getting a lot of love in that committee room uh, for whatever reason. Um, Kentucky, Florida, LSU, Mississippi State are all multiple spots higher in the committee than the AP poll. Uh, The fact that LSU is still seven with two losses ahead of three other one-loss teams uh, is kind of eye-opening, especially considering how they played last week. Uh, it's kind of, Again, we've seen it. I mean, this is a Florida team that lost to Missouri by, you know, three scores at home, and they only dropped four spots. And, you know, they followed that up by barely beating an average South Carolina team at home, and they go up two spots. At Mississippi State, they're 21st with four losses. I mean, you know, we can go on and on. Kentucky hasn't had a good win since September, but, you know, for whatever reason, they're continually keeping them up, you know, near the top 15. And so you could definitely tell that there is, like the SEC is definitely getting a lot of love. The ACC finally came down a notch. NC State, who was ranked way too high to begin with at 14, fell all the way out after losing a wake. But you could argue they should have never been that high in the first place. Uh, I'm not going to penalize BC too much for losing to Clemson at home. Uh, because their quarterback went out early with an injury. I don't know if that played a part in the committee's mind, but I I think the SEC thing is extremely over the top because once you see a team that has three or four losses, normally like Utah, they lose a game, they're completely out. And in SEC, you only drop a couple spots. And, you know, it's a Big Ten podcast, so I guess someone without that affiliation or even with that could just think, you know, it's sour grapes or being bitter, but... Again, it is human beings in that room. It's not computers. Like, there's probably some subjectivity there, and, and um, you know, it's very possible that these biases are coming into play. So, you know, I just thought it was worth bringing up and addressing. We'll see how it plays out in these final few weeks here uh, before the final top four released on December 2nd. Let's move on now to um, some hoops because it doesn't really look like this upcoming weekend in the Big Ten and across college football there's a whole lot going on. Correct me if I'm wrong. There, I, I mean, the only thing could be uh, Michigan has a chance to clinch the East this week if Ohio State were to trip sure. up against Maryland and Michigan beats Indiana. Uh, however, you know it would be a shock if the Buckeyes lost that game considering uh, how poor Maryland's played recently. But, yeah, like you said, it really isn't a whole lot going on. All right, so let's take it to hoops finally. Uh, talk a little round ball, a little short pants as they've been calling it in the studio. I know Jerry didn't have started it, and I've heard that phrase uh repeated over and over i don't know how i feel about it yet but we'll <laughs> we'll roll with it we'll rock with it um let's talk some basketball and it's a good day to do it because last night um which would be wednesday night the big 10 probably had one of its best nights in a while uh, across the board 
in the conference. Three blowout wins in the Gavit Games, highlighted by Michigan's dismantling of Villanova on Villanova's home court. So we'll start there. H, what did you see out of what was really a, a historic upset, if you look at the numbers, uh, with teams going on the road facing a top-10 team? Honestly, it's just a continuation of last year, and what I mean by that is it's just a complete, a completely different mentality from Michigan, from what we're used to seeing. You know, John Beeline, as great as he is offensively, his defenses before last year were pretty average for the most part, uh, decent at best. Last year, they were third nationally in defensive efficiency. This year, you could argue they've been even better. I mean, right now, teams are only shooting 24 for 61 on dunks and layups. I mean, that just goes to show you they're contesting everything. They're shutting your water off. I mean, Villanova only had 46 points last night at home. And I know they lost, you know, four pros. But Jay Wright's been recruiting really well. And the fact that you get your doors blown off like that and have a hard time scoring, I think it speaks volumes. And, you know, they lost Wagner. They lost Robinson. They lost Abdul Rahman. And we know all of that. But Xavier Simpson and Matthews and Bresdakis now, like they've got the length. They've got athleticism. And they're tough. And they're going to be a problem for a lot of teams in this league. Yeah, I feel like the last couple of years, Michigan has started a little slow, looked a little shaky before getting stronger as the year went on and then having great postseason success. So obviously that's different this year. So what do you think Michigan's ceiling is? I know as a uh, close follower of the Michigan State program um, and a Spartans program that I thought would probably have the most consistency over the year and have a good shot at winning Big Ten title, do you think Michigan is the – front runner now in the Big Ten I think after last night they probably are but do you, do you think they're not only a Big Ten contender but a, a player in the national stage as well now uh, it's kind of hard to say I don't want to project too much uh, after three games but defense travels and you know sometimes you can have an off night shooting the ball as we saw at Michigan State last night but Michigan and, and this goes back to their tournament run I mean they really only had one game where they shot the lights mm-hmm. out they were carried by defense throughout and so I think this year it could be similar where defense carries them through a lot of games and they'll still have the ability to catch fire at times. And one of the benefits of having a defense like that is you don't have to rely on you know, guys making 15 threes a game. You don't have to rely on you know, guys getting wide open shots. You can make games a rock fight and win that way. And the fact that Michigan was able to do that in a tough environment uh, on the road speaks volumes early. It's crazy how they lose Mo Wagner and then Brad Dacus comes in. I think he's even the same number, number 13. And, you know, is a, a long athletic dude who can put the ball on the floor, rebound, do kind of the, you know, the intangibles. Yeah, he can shoot. And he's just a freshman, but he's, he's looked really good so far. Yeah, so that's he's the antagonist be, like Wagner. Yeah, going to be big for them. I saw him mixing it up last night when the, the scuffle broke out, when, when uh, them hands were thrown a little bit mm-hmm. there at Villanova. So interesting to see, and uh, they're fun to watch. So we'll keep an eye on them. Uh, I mentioned Michigan State. Um, they won last night, not in the Gavit games. They're also one of my top four teams in the Big Ten, and uh, the other two teams that I thought would probably finish in that top four are Indiana and Nebraska. Both of them won by 23 points last night over their opponents. I think Indiana's was more impressive because it was uh, horn to horn. They pretty much destroyed Marquette um, at Assembly Hall, and Romeo Langford looked really good once again. So what have you seen out of them that projects well throughout the course of the year to uh, you know have them kind of establish themselves as being back and in, in the business in the Big Ten? 
Well, I think it's year two under Archie, and we all know Archie Miller's a really good coach. We saw what he did at Dayton, taking a program to the Elite Eight and getting to the tournament several years after that. Uh, you add a super freshman like Romeo Lankford to go with a stud in Jawan Morgan. You know, I mean, they were pretty young in spots last year, so I think it's just kind of another year of buying into the system. You get another infusion of talent with Lankford, and you can see why. Uh, you know, expectations are high there. You know, I'm sure they'll be ranked next week after that performance uh, against Marquette. Uh, Nebraska, I mean, you know, this is a team that has a ton of experience returning. You know, it would be a disappointment if they didn't make the tournament considering everything they've got back. Arguably the best starting five in the Big Ten. Um, you know, it's a team that should absolutely compete for the regular season crown. Uh, and I just say overall, it's good to have these types of results in November because they matter in March. When you're trying to build a resume, it's good to, you know, do well in these Gavit games, the ACC Big Ten Challenge, these Thanksgiving tournaments. So this is just one step for the conference. Last year, the conference did not do well in non-conference, and they only got four teams in, you know, despite Nebraska winning 13 Big Ten games. So the fact that Wisconsin can beat a Xavier, the fact that Seton Hall could get blown out by Nebraska. Indiana can blow out Marquette. Michigan can blow out Villanova. It's a good sign for things to come, but it has to continue in the Maui and Atlantis and all of that. Yeah, for sure. And uh, one more point on Indiana. I think point guard play was such a huge question for them coming in. But Rob Finnessy, yes. freshman, has looked really good. So I wanted to sh- give him a shout-out and uh, you know give him his proper due for uh, and his role in their success. So to your second point about how the non-conference is shaping up much better than in the last couple of years, especially last year, and how it projects going forward. Um, it, for me, it's recency bias, but I just look at last year, watching college hoops every Saturday in conference play, every weekend it seemed like there were Big 12 teams going at it that were ranked in the top 25. You'd see, like, you know, fringe, like Oklahoma State versus Kansas State, and they're both in the top 25. So to your point, when one loses, the conference as a whole is still lifted up because – you know, it's looked at as a good loss. So, I think the ACC challenge, like you said, is such a is going to be such a huge barometer for the conference to elevate more teams into that twenty five to thirty five range. And that way, you know, you get in Ken Palm, you get in, in those RPI uh, ranges, and then those losses don't look as bad. So, how do you think the the you don't have to go through the matchups, but do you think after seeing this week's results and just overall how the Big Ten has fared that the ACC Challenge and these uh, Feast Week tournaments and all these holiday tournaments will look better compared to the last several years? Uh, Certainly appears that way. I mean, before the season, nobody thought the Big Ten would be any good. I mean, you know, Michigan State, Michigan, and uh, I'd say Purdue were the only teams that were ranked, and Nebraska and Indiana were kind of fringe, but looks like if you add when you add those five and the fact that Wisconsin looks to be much better, mm-hmm. you know, Minnesota appears to be much better. If you can get a good seven to eight teams playing at a really good level over the next two months, it really sets you up for conference play, especially with 20 games. You have less non-conference chances, so you have to make the most of the chances you get, you know, whether that's Minnesota playing in Alaska or playing in Canada and against AM and stuff like that. Like, those are games that you have to get, even though they're kind of under the radar. Those are the, the resume games, the resume builders that you have to have. So 
it, it obviously matters in the marquee. Like if Michigan could play as well against Villanova as they did against North Carolina, it'd be huge for the league. But you don't need to lose the challenge like eleven to three, right? You know, kind of like what happened last year. You know, Michigan State beat Notre Dame, but like nothing else of note really happened. So you have to have multiple teams do well in these tournaments. Ohio State too, beating Cincinnati yeah, last week. It was win. about a week ago, but um, it's a huge win, especially when. That crowd was hyped to open their new arena, similar to what happened at Villanova last night with them and their refurbished on-campus arena opening up. And um, I'm glad he brought up the 20-game schedule this year because with that extended schedule, it's going to be that much more important to, you know, like you said, stack those non-conference wins and then those in-conference losses just won't look as bad. Yeah, agreed. And I think it, it allows for a more true champion. Uh, I think Michigan State, even though they won the league last year, kind of got the benefit of not having to go on the road to as many tough places. And on the other side, Nebraska had to go on the road against all of those you know, top teams. I think Michigan was the only team they had at home. And so even though they won 13 games, like it hurt them because they didn't get a chance to play the big dogs. They were able to beat up you know, on Rutgers twice mm-hmm. and Penn State and stuff like that. And so... The fact that you have 20 games, I think it, it helps your resume. You don't get as many of the you know, sub-250, 300 teams in the, the RPI and all of the metrics. So the fact that there is 20 games, it puts a premium uh, on the regular season. It allows less margin for error scheduling-wise, and it makes the non-conference games you do have even more important because there's fewer opportunities. Yeah, and um – one guy I want to shout out as well, just because this is the stat head segment, is Ethan Happ, who looks poised to have a <clears throat> ridiculous year, at least going off his early numbers. He dropped 30, 13 boards, followed after he um, posted a triple-double, second in Wisconsin history in, his, in the opener. So Amazing what happens when you got shooters surrounding him and you can't yeah. double. Demetri Trice having a big year, too. Mm-hmm. He's shooting like 60 70% from three in the early going, so... That Wisconsin team, like you mentioned, looks much improved. Uh, H, any big games you, you're looking for, forward to in the um, holiday tournaments? Anything like that before we wrap up? Just any big matchups that tend to pop up this type this time of year that you have your eye on? Uh, I mean, obviously I'm a little biased here, but I'm looking forward to seeing Michigan State out in Vegas. Mm-hmm. Uh, get UCLA in the opener. They'll play either North Carolina or Texas, depending on what happens in the games. Uh going to see how they look because Nick Ward went down last night with an ankle injury did not return they said it wasn't serious but that's you know a week from now can that ankle heal up because those are two games that they would need to have you know based on all the points we've said or you know earlier about resume building so it'd be nice to have him back get no worse than a split and hopefully win two uh, and it could kind of set them up going forward yeah and last week uh before the Ward injury, obviously. Andy Katz said he thought Michigan State would look a lot better than they did against Kansas out in Vegas. So we'll see if that holds true. H, uh, gone about 20 minutes. That's that's usually uh, it's about time to wrap up. So appreciate your insight this week. I'm glad we could get a heavy dose of hoops in there. And um, it's going to be a ton to watch in both football and basketball over the next couple weeks. I'm excited. Yeah, me too. It was glad to see uh, a full hoop slate to talk about as opposed to just Champions Classic. So looking forward to diving in even more. Sounds good, man. Till next time. Yes, sir. All right. Thanks once again to Mike, Howard, Kenny, Harold for joining me. Uh, really mixed bag of interviews this week, and I hope you guys enjoyed it. 
uh, it's it cool to kind of mix it up, get a good variety, and, and continue to bring some, you some good stuff, especially as we get closer to the Big Ten Championship game, which is coming up in a couple weeks. Michigan-Ohio State football next week, which could and should determine the Big Ten East representative in Indy, and plenty of Big Ten basketball that is uh, heating up as well. So plenty of content surrounding those events coming up here on the show in the coming weeks. And um, before I sign off for good, I want to thank my producer, Wes White, as always. I want to thank Colleen Degnan, who's been a big help this fall, as an assistant producer. And thank you to everyone out there for listening. So until next week, talk to you soon here on the Take 10 Podcast.